Thankful that you were able to come and and to hear God's word. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. I'm going to read thirty-seven. Let's back up to thirty-six. I'm going to read thirty-six through thirty-eight. We're going to key in on 37 and 38, but let's start at 36. Acts chapter 2, 36 through 38. This is the reading of God's Word. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're going to be dealing with the first part of 38 where it talks about repent. And I know that we spoke about that last week, but I just cannot shake this passage of Scripture. It has been on my heart all week. Uh, There was another something that came into my heart as well that the Lord, I believe, showed me through His Word that I want to speak to also out of the book of Jeremiah. And so we're we're not going to really turn to Jeremiah. I've already referenced it once. Uh, but you can read that later for your own, at, your, at your own time, at your own convenience. But today we're going to be looking at, here we have a problem. We have a major problem taking place in Jerusalem. Peter, Simon Peter is standing up and he is preaching God's word and they are hearing him preach all of these different people in their own language. Remember, there was about 15 that were represented at this time there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And Peter stood up and he preached in his language and they heard in their language because that's what the Bible says. And Peter gives them the charge. He lays it at their feet and he says, you are guilty of murdering the Son of God. You are guilty of crucifying the very thing that was perfect and innocent. And when they heard this, the scripture says, and this is what I keep coming back to in my heart, it says that they were cut, that they were pierced through. And that's what we're going to look through. Today, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. What's happening here in our text? What's going on? What is taking place? Peter is coming to the end of his sermon. He's going, coming to the very crescendo of what's fixing to take place. The Holy Spirit is thick and it is moving. 
People are prophesying. People are speaking in tongues. People are hearing the wonderful works of God. And these people that Peter is preaching to, they are listening and they are hearing it in their own voice, these wonderful works. And as they hear, they realize for the first time that they are sinners. They realize what they have done. They realize that they have slaughtered and that they have murdered the Son of God. Peter declared to them, you are guilty. When hearing this news, they were cut to the heart. The scripture says that they were, they were pierced through is what it means. Cut to the heart, pierced through with a stinging blow spiritually. I mean, filleted open, cut open. They realized for the first time it was true. They realized for the first time that they were sinful and what sin was. And that their sin murdered the anointed one, the Christ that was to come. This message that Peter preached was very powerful. And the reason why it was so powerful is because he preached it not in his own power nor by his own oratory skills, but he preached it under the influence. And I'm not talking about alcohol. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up to preach and it was the Holy Spirit that was coming out of him preaching to the people that were there. It was none of his skill. It was none of of who he was. He was a poor fisherman and the Lord used this weak, weak vessel to proclaim his goodness and his power. We We know that the Holy Spirit is the sword which cuts to the very marrow of the soul. And so when Peter preached the the impact and the effect that it had on the people, because the Holy Spirit was behind it, because the Holy Spirit is a sword that cuts and divides even to the marrow of the soul, when it hit the hearts of these people, it hurt them. Spiritually, it hurt them. They stood guilty before a righteous and a holy, just God, knowing now what they had done. They crucified the Savior. This is what was happening. The Spirit was doing His work. And this is what I pray today, that not my tongue or not my words, but the work of the Spirit of God would move in the hearts of those that are gathered this morning. That it would pierce your heart or that it would bind up your heart, whichever it may be. Because there's a lot of times two categories that we have. We have those that are lost and those that are saved, and there's not really any other category. But this applies to both. It applies to the lost because it binds up the brokenhearted. And it gives them a heart of flesh that they can feel and that they are now redeemed and that they're washed clean. But it also is for the saved because it binds up the brokenhearted. 
How many people that are saved become brokenhearted in a day? How many people that are saved grieve? And how many people that are saved get hurt by their own family members? So the blood of Jesus... The Spirit of God working through what Christ has done is very powerful and it is very personal in our life. They cry out after this slicing, after this dicing, after this piercing and cutting through. They cry out, what shall we do? They were desperate. This response is a response to the Spirit's work in their life. This, ladies and gentlemen, we know to be called an effectual call or a personal call. You say, what do you mean by that? We've talked about this before. But it seems that as many times as I talk about something, people don't get it. Sometimes I will teach on it and and until the Lord gives them ears to hear with, it's preaching or teaching to a wall, talking to a wall in one ear and out the other. But listen to what it says. God was calling them to repentance. On this day, 3,000 were saved. He had their digits. He had their area code, he had their digits, and he dialed them. He knew their heart, and he called them. The Lord opened the heart to feel, he opened their heart to hear, he opened their heart to see. And they cry out in great despair as if their ship was literally sinking underneath them. Remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples? They woke him up and they cried out to him, We're going under! The same despair, but even more so, hit these men on the day of Pentecost that were gathered Jews, devout men, that were gathered from all over the world, gathered right there for the day of Pentecost. Their hearts were taken on water and they were sinking. So they cry out, what shall we do? What do we do? They cried out with urgency. They cried out in haste. They had been struck with a blow from God. And they were wounded. Hearts were cut open, pierced through. They were filleted back. For the first time, the callus had been removed and they could feel and it hurt them. It hurt them. The gospel was preached. And a dagger went straight through their heart. And how I would pray that that would happen this morning. My tongue cannot do it and my efforts cannot do it, but the Spirit of God can. It can cut through and it can make you feel and it can make you cry out. Oh, it can make you cry out. Listen as they cry out for a physician, for a healer, for a remedy. 
Brothers, what must we do? Help us, please. We've seen movies before where people have been shot and they're on their deathbed or they're dying there in the street and they're crying out for help. Someone help me or a tragedy has happened and there's something laying on top of someone else and they're crying out, someone help me, someone help me. This is how urgent these men were crying out. This is how bad they were hurting as if a bomb had just went off in their hearts, obliterating it to pieces. They realized for the first time, I'm a sinner. And the one that came to save, I slaughtered. I killed him. I crucified him. I slayed him. I went against him and betrayed him. This great cut by the sword of the Spirit made them cry out for help. Outside of themselves. They needed a doctor, didn't they? They needed a healer. They needed a physician. And it was not Simon Peter. The doctor, the healer, physician was not Peter. It was not John. It was not Paul. Who was it? Jesus is Christ. And that's the good news. We know what that is. We know who and what that is. It's Jesus Christ and His precious blood. Joanne and I sat next to uh, each other when we were we had listened to a sermon in town uh, at the at the stadium. You remember that? And the preacher that was there, I forget his name. Um, some of you guys probably wouldn't know him, but the text that he preached out of, and I can remember um, not his sermon, but I remember his text. He preached out of Jeremiah eight and twenty two. That was his sermon. He preached out of Jeremiah 8, 18 through 22 was a sermon. That's the very thing that I read to you today. And I remember hearing it then, but I also remember hearing this as a young child about the balm or the salve of Gilead. The balm, B-A-L-N, not bomb. Okay, I'm not talking about a bomb. <laughs> I'm talking about a balm or a salve of Gilead. Okay, that man preached over the bomb of Gilead that night in that stadium at Block High School. I heard it preached over as a child. And I couldn't get it off my heart because when I began to think about the heart as it was filleted back and as it was cut open or pierced through, these wounds that were inflicted, they are deadly and they, they hurt, man. And when I begin to think about that, I begin to think to myself, wait a second, wait a second. Wait a second, I remember something. I remember something that soothes. I remember something that heals. I remember something from the Old Testament preached that would bind up and that would, that would make something that was cut and, and just festering that it, would, that it would heal it. And then it hit me on Thursday. The balm of Gilead. The balm of Gilead. It hit me. So I began to look and I began, I, first thing I did was I, read, I, I Googled it because I couldn't remember where it was. And a song came up. 
And it's a very old spiritual that says this. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. What was taking place in Acts in chapter 2? They became wounded by the Spirit of God. They knew that they were sinners and they knew they needed a Savior. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And this bomb of Gilead has been on my heart since Thursday evening. I can't shake it. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about the piercing of the heart. And I know the Lord has this for someone today. Maybe it's just me, but for someone today, the Lord has this. I am sure of it. We know that this balm of Gilead, according to Scripture, is Christ Jesus and His precious blood. There's no getting around it. The balm of Gilead was was said to be special and it had special healing properties. It came from the east of Jordan. It was a small tree or a bush type plant. It was very rare. That had two layers of bark on it. The outer layer was very thin and the inner layer of bark was very thick. And the inner layer is where the sap came from. The inner layer is where that that balm, that sap came from and where they would take it and then they would make this balm of Gilead. Gilead was known for the different resins and for the different gums. And I'm not talking about chewing gum. I'm talking about the different gums, medicinal things, fragrances and perfumes that they had there at Mount Gilead. It was a real place. And so this sap, which it was drained out, it would be made into this bomb. But to extract it, you had to cut deep into the tree, past the first layer, into the second layer of the, of the thicker bark, to the inner layer. You had to cut into it so that it would drain out. It would be gathered and turned into a healing balm or a or a salve, an ointment. It was used, it was very multi-purpose, you know, like a triple antibiotic, something like that. It was used to heal cuts, abrasions, stomach issues, inflammation, respiratory issues. Because of it being so multi-purpose, because it was used to, to heal so many different things, it was very, very costly. It's very expensive. These trees were very rare. The trees that made this balm from Gilead was very they were very rare. And any time you have something that's very rare, it makes it what? Very expensive, doesn't it? And any time you have something that's very expensive, It makes it what? Very precious. So when we see this balm of Gilead, we see not only is it rare, not only is it costly, but it's also precious. Jeremiah, and in the 8th chapter, you don't have to turn there. You can mark that to read later. 
Jeremiah in the 8th chapter 1 through 22, Jeremiah cries out for a spiritual healing for the people. Asking for the balm of Gilead, asking for the physician. But it was too late for them. Because they were still holding, holding on to their carved images. They were still holding on to their foreign idols. But yet they wanted healing at the same time. And it just doesn't work that way. They had pressure coming down from them from the north. Pressure coming down from them from the east or coming at them from the east. And they were waiting for the Egyptians to come and help them from the south. Which was never a good idea. Jeremiah laments. He cries out. He is, he is called the weeping prophet for a reason. He cries out for a spiritual healing for the people, asking for the balm of Gilead and for a physician to apply it. He knew that the people were sin sick and he knew that a physical balm or salve would not heal them. What is he prophesying towards? What is he prophesying about? He is prophesying about the only one that can heal the sin-sick heart, and that is Jesus Christ and his precious blood. And that is it. Jeremiah knew that they were in a bad way. He knew this. And so he cries out to the Lord. But we know the story. The Chaldeans came down. The Babylonians came in. They were sieged, overtook, and were destroyed for 70 years, right? Why? Because of idolatry and because of foreign idols that they had brought into the land. They had carved idols, which means that they were made out of wood, which is, I just, I don't really understand it. Carved idols. Remember the Philistines had Dagon, the carved idol that the Lord reduced to a stump? <laughs> Cut his head off, his arms off, his legs off, and there he was in the threshold, a stump before the Ark of the Covenant. Carved idols and foreign idols that they had brought in. These were God's chosen people, they were sin sick. They needed a healing balm. They needed an ointment that would heal them, but not physically. They needed one that would heal them spiritually. Jeremiah cries out and prophesies, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? He's speaking towards the Messiah that was to come, the great healer and his salve that he offers is his precious blood. Now pay attention to me, guys. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very close to being done. Listen to what it says. If we fast forward to Acts 2, 37 through 38, we see that men were gathered there. They were gathered. They were listening to Simon Peter preach. Did they need a physical healing? They did not. They needed a spiritual, spiritual healing. 
Their spiritual hearts, the inner man, had been cut open and they needed healing. Just like the people Jeremiah prophesied over. These men in Israel worshipped their own traditions, their own religious system. They had turned the law of God and the religious system and the temple into idolatry. This is how wicked it was. And they were devout in it. They were sick. But the Lord came, didn't He? But just as Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord, these men here do as well. They needed the true balm of Gilead, but they had slaughtered him. They had slaughtered him. See, the bittersweet moment we have before us in this, in this text is that when they slaughtered or when they murdered Jesus Christ, they sliced him deep. They pierced him through and through, even pierced his own heart, if you recall. Blood and water came pouring out, did it not? They didn't just go to the outer side. They didn't go to the thin part of the skin. No, they had to go and they had to pierce him all the way through, didn't they? And when they pierced him all the way through, that's when that blood and that's when that water came pouring out. Just like that balm of Gilead. Just like that sap. It wasn't just a superficial cut on the outside of a tree. No, it was a gouge into the trunk. It was a gouge into it. It was a piercing through so that that sap could run out. And we see this. We see this with Jesus Christ. When this happened, this precious, precious ointment of Gilead, this precious ointment of Gilead, listen to me, this salve came pouring out of our Savior, his blood. It came pouring out of his head so that they put the crown of thorns on his head. It wasn't some superficial wound, but they, they crammed it down on his head. They took nails and they drove through his feet and his hands. They took a cat of nine tails and they flogged him over and over and over and over and they scourged him and tore until chunks of flesh and meat were coming off of his back and off of his chest and off of his face and off of his neck and off of his hands and off of his legs and all over him. He was a bloody mess. The ointment of Mount Gilead was pouring out on the cross. It was dripping down those crevices that those, that those, those tools of, of, of murder made on the Savior. It was flowing down through there and it was costly. It was rare and it was very expensive. It was costly because it cost him his own life, did it not? It was rare because he was and still is the only true balm of Gilead. The only true source of ointment that we can go to and get cleansing from. It was rare because he was and still is. Or it was, he, he is precious. It was precious because it is the only thing that is able to wash and purify the sin-sick soul. 
this balm of Gilead that Jeremiah was speaking about is the blood of Jesus Christ that we must have today. I'm talking about the blood of Christ. The men of Israel needed the true balm of Gilead to wash their sins away and to bind up their cut, broken hearts. The men of Israel, aware of their sin, they were aware of their sin. They cried out, what do we do? Man, for the minister, this is the greatest thing ever. For the minister, this is... This is like Christmas for the minister. For the one that is preaching the word of God, for someone to cry out, what do we do? (laughs) There's nothing greater than that. Because you have the answer. You know the truth. You know what to do. You know what it is. Peter gladly gives them the answer in verse 38. Repent! And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So we know what the medicine is. We know who the great physician is. But now the balm of Gilead, this blood of Jesus, must be applied to the doorpost of the heart. Just like it was applied in Exodus when they came out of Egypt. It must be applied. And how is it applied? Let me tell you how it is applied. By repentance. The first words out of his mouth are to repent. And to repent is truly a turning away from. Turning your back on the old life. And the only way that you can do this is by faith. And so the very first thing that's out of his mouth for us to receive this healing balm of Gilead, for us to receive that physician applying it to our hearts, is to repentance. It's to repent. And that only comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ only salvation can be yours today by acknowledging now I want you to hear me when I say this by acknowledging that you had a hand in the crucifixion by acknowledging that you were there, by acknowledging that your sins is what nailed him to the cross, and by acknowledging that it was his love that kept him there to pay for your sins. That balm of Gilead can be applied to your heart today. Now we're going to talk about the rest of this verse next week about baptism, about the Holy Spirit, about these gifts. We're going to talk about all, that, that, all about that next week. But I want you to know right now that there is power in the blood of Jesus. Now I want to speak to you for just a moment for those that are saved. Because you say, well, Brother Matthew, you preach a, you preach a, a gospel and a, and a repentance 
by faith and you preach the gospel. But what about the saved? Well, what about you? Let me get to you. How does this apply for those that are saved? How does it apply for Peter who stood up and preached, who had problems later on, later on in the New Testament when Paul had to rebuke him? How does it apply to the different ones? There's power in the blood. For there's some that are here that are hurting. Whether from a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness. You need to know this morning that there's power in the blood. And you need to turn it over to Him. Others who are dealing with rejection. One of the worst things that you can deal with, for me, is rejection. Rejection. It hurts, doesn't it? Don't let me die up here. Anybody here? Does rejection hurt or not? Let me apply rejection to you for just a moment. Let's do that. Let's get real for just a moment. Rejection. Rejected at the workplace for a promotion. Rejected at the workplace because you just don't fit in. Rejection uh, at school. Rejection at home by your own family members. Rejection by your wife. I ain't talking about you, baby. (laughs) Rejection by your husband. Rejection by your children, which is like... I would imagine to be the worst thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. This, this type of rejection goes deep and it, and, it, and it cuts. Cuts deep. Rejection by your mom or by your dad. Or even grandparents. You felt this rejection. You know what I'm talking about. You might be dealing with it right now. And the reason why you might be dealing with it is because Christians have real problems that need a real salve, a real ointment to put on that you can't buy over the counter. While still yet there are some here that have itself inflicted deep, deep wounds from secret sins that over the years have caused not just wounds but deep crevices in the heart. Scarred there that you think will never be bound up, that you think will never, that you can never get past. But the last time I checked, Isaiah tells us that there would be one that would come that would bind or sew up the brokenhearted. It didn't tell us how deep it had to be. It just says that he would do it. Others have wounds of grief. 
But I've been told that in the remembrance of one, it is just as hard and it's a stabbing pain when that person is called to remembrance as the day that it happened. There are people that grieve over the loss of one of their loved ones. Years may go by, but something triggers a smell or a sound or a word or a song. And that pain comes back. And you deal with it and it brings you down for a week or maybe a month or maybe six. Or maybe you get into a depression because of it. There's maybe one here today that has wounds of betrayal which has led to bitterness in your own heart robbing you of the God-given joy that He has given to you. You've been betrayed and now you have allowed bitterness to enter in and take root in the heart. And that bitterness is there and unless you uproot it, you'll never get your joy back. Never. That bitterness, you will be you've been betrayed by somebody else and you keep going back to that person and, it, and they don't even know it, but yet it affects you for the rest of, their li- of your life. Wounds of betrayal robbing you of your joy because you're filled with bitterness. These are all true. These are all real wounds of the heart. Are they not? that the Christian experiences, that hurt, they really and truly hurt. Has anybody experienced any of these things that I'm talking about? Anybody, please, just by show of hands. Just close your eyes and raise your hands if you have. I have. These are all true and they're real wounds that hurt. The Christian, the child of God, that impede our walk with our Savior. They trip us up and keep us from doing what we are called to do in Christ Jesus. And for the saved child of God today that is is experiencing these things that I just mentioned with a whole host of other ones, we must not forget that the blood that redeemed us The blood that washed us and the Savior that administered all of these things is still with us today. And you may just be found carrying a load that's already been delivered from you. The chain's been cut and you've picked it back up and you just need to drop it back at the Savior's feet. It still heals us today. This balm of Gilead. He can bind up your broken heart. And it's simply by turning to Him today. He is the true healing balm of Gilead. 
There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin sick soul. That's my message for this morning. Christ poured out this healing balm on the cross to provide an initial healing for us, salvation, but also to provide a sustaining healing for us in our sanctification. Trust in Jesus today. Next week we're going to be going over and talking about baptism, being baptized in Jesus' name, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and what all of that entails, and the controversies behind it. Please come, you won't want to miss it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.